0: Hey friends, I'm Crystal Kate Bonham, and you're listening to the Off the Bike Podcast. I created this conversation because I believe in community. I mean, isn't that what we're all here for? So whether you're an instructor looking to grow your influence, a fitness guru searching for that next level experience, or an entrepreneur at heart looking for growth in your career, join us as we unclip, hop off the bike, and dig into creating an extraordinary life. Hey everyone. It's nice to be back. It's been a couple of weeks since we released a podcast and that was intentional. We needed a bit of a break to process all that's going on in our nation. So here we are, we're back and bringing you a deep but important podcast about change today. Like you, I'm in the audience. I'm here to listen, to lean into a bold conversation about solutions, a path forward, and a way for us together to amplify love and light in these dark times. To me, that's the best way to describe what we've seen in the past few weeks, deep cultural change. So I thought it would be very appropriate to bring on Pastor Corey Brooks, a Chicago leader that's been inspiring change in his community for years. Today, we're going to talk about the power of actionable change, reasonable thought, faith, and positive, non-destructive activism that can empower people and communities that brings lasting change. Pastor Brooks is the head pastor of New Beginnings Church, he's the CEO of Project Hood, and he's a man that truly cares about his community on Chicago's south side. If you don't know, Chicago has somewhat of a reputation for violence. Just two weeks ago during one weekend, 85 people were shot, 24 fatally. It's horrific. We need to remember the lives of each of these victims matter. My husband talks frequently about Tyshawn Lee, a nine year old boy who was murdered by two gang members a few years back, and it really impacted him deeply because Tyshawn's life mattered. So, in an area seemingly overcome with tragedy, hardship, and violence, how does one even see the light? How does one deal with anger and grief and find actionable solutions to curb gang violence, create tangible opportunities for residents, offer education opportunities, and fight to overcome a social quote unquote death sentence? that too many people are born into. Well, how about fighting the powers that have ignored the community? How about living on the roof of a rundown motel in the middle of a Chicago winter to make sure that it was torn down and the prostitution and drug trade could no longer operate there? That's dedication, that's living by the spirit, and it's one of the many amazing works of meaningful activism that Pastor Brooks has done for his community. So. Without further ado, we're unclipping, hopping off the bike, and welcoming Pastor Corey Brooks to the podcast. So welcome to the Off the Bike podcast, Pastor Brooks. I know this is probably a little bit of a different venue than you're typically used to, but I'm just so grateful that you're able to join us today. And I think we should just start by jumping right in. Um, Why don't you share with us your journey from Muncie, Indiana, which is where you're from uh, originally how you came to Chicago, about your neighborhood, O Block, Parkway Gardens, all the things in the relevance of the discussion of Chicago as a whole, and how your church and Project Hood, your nonprofit, are fighting for equal opportunity and community safety.
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I am super excited and grateful to be on it. Uh, my story is I was grew up in Muncie, Indiana, uh, Middletown, USA, as they call it. And I went to high school and college there, Ball State University, where I graduated. After that, I went to a year of law school at the University of Florida before going to seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary. And while I was there, I just felt a strong calling to to be a pastor. And I was called to pastor at a little church in Richmond, Indiana, and I stayed there for about three years. And after that, uh, I was called to pastor a church in Chicago. the West Point Baptist Church, and it was a very traditional church, and it was not reaching the type of people that I wanted to reach. Uh, I wanted to reach gangs. I wanted to reach people who were on the edges of society. Uh, This church was kind of a high-income, high-educated church, and I wanted to do something different. Um, So we left that church, and we started a church called New Beginnings Church, And when we started it, we started it right in the middle of the projects in Chicago because we wanted to be in a really uh, tough area. And so we went um, to the toughest place we could find, and we stayed uh, in those projects in that area for like two years before we moved to uh, our destination where we are now. Uh, The Chicago Sun-Times wrote an article in 2012 calling it the most dangerous block in the city of Chicago. Uh, some people have labeled it O Block because of some of the uh, rappers that have come from the area. And um, that area is where we minister. That's where our church is. It's where we're working very, very hard to change the neighborhood around. And from New Beginnings Church, uh, we started a non profit called Project Hood. H-O-O-D, HOOD stands for Helping Others Obtain Destiny. So Project HOOD started in 2012, well actually November of 2011. Um, It was born out of an experience uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about.
0: I feel like we need to just jump right into this story because you're known nationally as the Rooftop Pastor. What drove you to camp on the top of a building for nearly three months. And how did that lead to where you're at now?
1: Yeah. So there was a young man by the name of Carlton Archer, who was a member of our church. Um, He was shot and killed. He's a teenager. Um, And his parents wanted to have the funeral in a different place. Um, And I was really reluctant to do that because our church had been known for having funerals for individuals who had participated in gang life and i had assured them that nothing would happen that it would be safe but they were really worried because their son and their his friends were from another part of our neighborhood and they had a fear that if those kids came into the neighborhood that it would be some violence and i assured them that it wouldn't be so on that day it was uh in november the 20th november uh, it would have been the 18th of 2011 it was a sunny day on a saturday and Um, As the kids from the neighborhood where the young man was shot and killed were coming into our neighborhood, which is only about two blocks, um, gunfire broke out. And I tell you, it was the most heart-wrenching thing that I've ever experienced. I quickly ran downstairs and I saw people running frantically, uh, hiding under cars, running to the bathroom, screaming. Thankfully, uh, no one was shot and killed. The police came. And when the police came, we got everything calmed down. We decided to go ahead with the funeral. And it was about 1,500 youth there, young people. And at the end of the funeral, uh, I felt something that I had never felt before. I really felt as if young men had brought guns into the church and I needed to get those guns. And so I stood up and I made an appeal at the end of the funeral that I was going to say a prayer, and at the end of the prayer, I needed them to bring those guns. And I tell everybody I thought it was going to be like a Billy Graham experience where people just flood the altar, but uh, it wasn't, and it was quick. It was just silence. No one moved, and all of a sudden, a young man stood up with wow. a 9 millimeter. Another young man stood up with a gun. Another young man stood up with a gun. Afterwards, uh, the police came, and they said, Pastor, there was another 9 millimeter left under one of the seats. And it was wow. at that very moment that I realized I had been in this neighborhood and we haven't done enough to fight the violence. And as I was looking across the street, I made a, I said to the Lord, whatever you want me to do from this point on, I'm all in. And as soon as I looked across the street, there was this hotel that had been known for sex trafficking, harboring um, drug, drug dealers and gang members, and... I felt that same nudge that I felt in the funeral. Uh, This time it gave me the nudge to just go up on the top of that roof of that motel and stay there until I raised enough money to, to buy it and tear it down. So that was a Saturday on that Monday, November the 20th. I went up on top of the roof of that motel early in the morning before anybody woke up. I put a tent up there and I refused to come down and I stayed there for three and a half months for november the 20th all the way to february the 24th 94 days and gosh. refusing to come down and we raised the money uh and we bought the motel and we tore it down and that's how i became known as uh, the rooftop pastor, the
0: rooftop pastor. Yeah. so that's gosh i mean you can't even say that's amazing because it's the normal person like me hears that. And it's like, how What in the dead of winter in Chicago, you're on this rooftop for three months and you're not yes. budging. How did you yes. know that doing that, that sitting there for the nearly three months would bring the change that you wanted to see?
1: I didn't know. I was really just trusting God and walking out on faith. And uh I, t- I tell everyone, it was one of those a walk on water experiences where you really don't know what to expect. You're just going to launch out in faith and do what you feel led to do. And as a result of of doing it, God just really blessed us. But at that time, I was hoping and praying that t- things would turn out right. I was believing that it would turn out right, but I, I really didn't know. And thankfully, um, it took a long time, um, 94 days in, in the dead of winter, like you okay. said. But finally, we were able to raise those funds and we were finally able to buy the motel And we were uh, blessed to be able to tear it down.
0: That's awesome. And so tell me about the fundraising experience while you were on the rooftop. I'm sure you had tons of help from members of your church and your community. Was there any pushback from, you know, other members of the community of Chicago in general? Did you run into any problems with law enforcement or politicians? What was that process like? Oh,
1: yeah. So the first day or two, first couple of days, um, I got calls from the mayor. I got calls from the governor. um, The superintendent of police threatened to have me arrested. The mayor wanted me to come down. It was, they were really upset. Um, The mayor was saying things like, if I let you stay on the building, uh, other people are going to occupy buildings and we're going to have problems all over the city. Uh, But that second day, something amazing happened the news got a hold of the story and it just took off and I woke up the next day, which is the third day. And there were about a hundred people down in front of the building and the, the the fire department had made a decision that they were going to come up and try to take me down and the community wouldn't let them. And so the community got started supporting it and they kind of put them in a position where they, you know, they didn't know what to do. And that's how it just really took off from there. After that moment, the news came out and it was just, the story was gone.
0: So the people who came out to rally in support of you from the community that prevented you from getting arrested or the fire department coming up there and all that, would you say that they realize what you're doing and they want to be a part of real change in this community that has been you know, called the most dangerous spot of Chicago, which right, right. how has how a local community and your church community changed from that point on?
1: So, yeah, the people in the community did not want that facility doing the business that they were doing there. Everyone knew that it was a bad situation. Everyone saw the prostitutes. It was a horrible situation. Women being taken advantage of, drug addicts. It was just horrible. So everyone knew. And not only did they know, but I think people were just waiting for somebody to do something. And Mm -hmm. when that somebody just happened to be me, it could have been anyone, first of all, but for whatever reason, God allowed me to do it. And people just got behind it. And because they got behind it, we were able to be successful in our endeavor. Uh, We were able to tear that motel down. we've been able to create a wonderful uh, facility uh, down the street from us uh, where we have wonderful programs and we're training people. The violence has gone down drastically. Uh, We're nowhere near being the most dangerous block in the city of Chicago anymore. Um, Out of some 50 uh, neighborhoods, we're like in the 30s, so we're we're not as dangerous. Uh, We still have work to do, but This community has been really transformed as a result of the act of one church and one outreach, uh, Project Hood, and, and the work that we're doing. You know,
0: after seeing all this, you understand what it takes to engage in activism in a way that's both peaceful and productive. You personally have battled oppositional political forces, but you've also done things like we mentioned earlier, camping outside on the rooftop in the dead of winter to make your point and to garner support to tear down that motel that was used for prostitution and drug dealing, which is leadership. So what um, you know, what kind of advice do you have for us as an audience on how we can engage in this conversation in meaningful community activism that can actually bring long-term meaningful change?
1: That's a great question. Um, first of all, people have to have courage. I think one of the biggest things is that Uh, with leadership and with being an activist and with wanting to do something about any problem, you have to have the courage to step up and do it. And a lot of times people don't have that courage. And as a result, things that could be done, solutions that could be brought to the table, answers that could be given are never, it never happens because people won't have the courage to do it. But if you can muster up enough courage to, to tackle the issues, regardless of what they are, then things can change. And so I tell people, especially when they want to help us and when they look at the situation that we're going through, uh, you know, I often have people ask, hey, Pastor, what what can I do? And especially some of my white brothers and sisters, they'll say, hey, you know, I'm white, I'm from the suburbs, or Pastor, I don't really understand. Uh, the neighborhood that you live in and what you're experiencing, but I have a, a, I do want to help. I do want to do something about it. I, I, I see the pain that these children are going through. I see the lives that they're living and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I want to help. What can I do? And I tell people the same things all the time. There are at least four things that people can do uh, to help us and to help our community and to help in the situations uh, that we see every day. One, is we need people's thoughts, their thinking. We need them to help come up with creative solutions and ways uh, that we can solve the issues that we're faced with. Um, the, The economic situations in our urban centers, we need thinkers who can create ways to solve that. We need thinkers who can help solve the violence issue, the poverty issue, the education issue. So one of the things that we need from individuals um, is that we need their thoughts, we need their thinking. The second thing I tell them is not only do we need your thinking, your thoughts, we need your time. We need individuals to take time out of their schedules. And I know that's really hard because people are busy and they have a lot of things that they're doing, but we have to give time to these problems if we're ever going to solve them. So I ask people to take some time out of their schedule and, 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 and make some time Uh, for other people beside themselves and beside their own families, which I understand are very important. But if we're ever going to tackle the issues and if we're ever going to come up with the the solutions to these problems, Mm -hmm. we need people to give us some of their time. So we need thinking, we need time, we need, thoroughly talent. We need individuals to take the talents, the skills and the abilities that God has given them and be willing to share them with us. Uh, you know, I'm a preacher, so I believe that God has given us gifts, skills, talents, and abilities, not just for us, but he gives those to us so that we can share them outwardly, uh, so that we can be an expression of him, and we can show people the love by giving our gifts, skills, talents, and abilities to help. And so we need people to share their talents. We need uh, accountants to help with uh, entrepreneurs with accounting. We need lawyers to help Uh, with legal issues. We need uh, mentors. We need teachers. We need all of these individuals who have these great talents to share those talents with our community. And if they can do that, it would help us tremendously. So we need thinkers, thoughts. We need uh, time. We need talents. And then we need treasure. I tell people I, I I'm I'm fiscally conservative, so I don't believe in just throwing money at problems. That never fixes anything. But I do understand that it takes resources. So I tell people to strategically invest in grassroots areas, um, especially like ours, like Project Hood, that are boots on the ground, helping to fight the issues of poverty and violence. Find those organizations that are worthy and have value, and who are doing the are, are producing results, and invest in them, help them to build their capacity so they can get to the next level. And so, those are just four of the things that people can do if only they would just have the courage to do it.
0: Ooh, that's awesome! What you know, if someone is on the edge about whether to give time or money or contribute in a way, you know, I have a skill in this and I want to teach others you know these young kids from your church or from wherever across this country that are open to learning new things and growing their skill set if someone's on the edge and not totally sure and not able to fully commit or they're nervous about the conversation that's been going on and they're they're trying to be mindful of everything what is your advice to them
1: that's another, you're, you're asking some great questions. <laughs> uh, my advice to them is this. You have to have the courage and you have to, it takes a, a little uh, humility and to be able to ask someone, you know, or to tell someone, I don't understand, or can I ask you a question? Uh, but you have to get to a point to where that courage and that humility drives you to a conversation. And you have to have conversations with individuals who may not look like you, think like you, or so that you can find out the best way uh, to help them. And you have to have those conversations uh, consistently. They're not just one-time conversations. Mm-hmm. And I've discovered this, Crystal, that when you have those conversations that organically um things start to happen and that's what you want you want some organic things to happen born out of communication and born out of relationships so i tell people don't try to just fight through it just try to build some relationships and try to have communication and then order orga- organically it will naturally happen you will discover how you can help you how you can assist what you need to do when you need to do it and you just have to be um uh, humble enough and um enough, have the humility and, um, the conviction to communicate, to find out.
0: And just approaching it with an open heart. Right. And part of the reason why you and I are talking today is, you know, I, I feel like there's been a lot of lip service. There's been all these protests, which are great. And it's drawing attention to a real issue. Um, but these issues have been going on forever and and you've experienced them. You've seen them leaning into these hard conversations is yeah. about opening your heart to also being wrong or not quite having yeah. the right words to say. So, Absolutely. you know, in in my experience working with you and and in the political sphere and all that, you know, we always talk about how America is an experiment. It's it's not designed to be one thing. It's growing. We're a body of work and we're, you know, yes. we acknowledge that in the past there's been these deep sins. And to this day, like all nations, um, America has tried to right those wrongs. Um, right. So, how do we bridge the differences and find real solutions moving forwards? Because sometimes it can be really hard to see light in the midst of division, or even you know, be open to having a conversation about that.
1: Yeah, we have to be willing to meet each other halfway. You know, uh, the way you build the bridge or get across the bridge to, it is is that people have to take steps into one another's lives. And I think that we are so reluctant because we allow media and we allow other things to divide us. I think Mm. that we have to make the steps um, to build the bridge. We have to make the step to enter into each other's lives, to enter into each other's uh, issues, and I tell people all the time that that's kind of a dirty job. It's it's not a clean, nice, easy job. It's a dirty it's job. It's not to comfortable. Getting involved, <laughs> in, yeah, very uncomfortable. Getting involved in the lives of other people, especially when you really don't understand those individuals, and especially when those individuals are a different race, and you want to, you don't want to, you know, offend anyone. So you got to be careful what you say, and you know, you. But here's what I've discovered. As as, as as dealing with you and, and your husband I, and, and others, when you find people who have genuine hearts, and you know that they really honestly care, you allow them the grace to make mistakes sometimes. Mm. And so I'm not going to just throw everything away because you didn't say something right one time or mm-hmm. you didn't, because I know your heart. And I think the, the better we can become at knowing one another's hearts and getting involved in the lives of each other, then that bridge will be built and it cannot be destroyed by anything that anybody is trying to do to divide us and keep us apart.
0: Yeah. So based on what you've seen historically working in Chicago and the neighborhoods you serve, and what we're seeing today, how do we pave a path forward?
1: I think we pave the path forward by all hands have to be on deck. We have to mm-hmm. get everybody involved. We have to get everyone to the table. We have to have everyone start discussing these issues that are very important. These issues that we sometimes don't want to talk about these issues that sometimes are very uncomfortable. Like for instance, it's difficult being a black man, uh, growing up in a a home with an absent father to talk about the problem of fatherlessness in our Mm -hmm. community is difficult. But I realize that over 70% of the households in our community are without fathers. And I do believe that's driving some of the issues And so I can't allow my personal feelings to not allow me to discuss those issues at a hand. And I have to open myself up and be sensitive enough to talk about them and to discuss them with other people so that we can pave a road forward. And I Mm -hmm. think the more we can communicate, the more conversations we can have like we're having right now the more dialogue we can get between individuals who are different and don't always think the same, I think the better off we'll be. And we have to do that uh, if we're ever going to save uh, the best of America.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. And so kind of just to bring this full circle, what we're seeing today, the hard conversations that are going on and need to be had, and we're going to stumble into them. You know, we're, we're wading into this, world of conversation that is it's challenging and nobody knows really the right words to say or, and based out of fear, sometimes we say things in a way that we weren't intending them or, you know, whatever. But my point being to bring this full circle, how does what we see happening today tie into what we talked about earlier with, with violence and poverty opportunity being the way out of that, you know, (laughs) creating opportunity in these communities and across this nation to really move the ball forward?
1: Right. Yeah, great question. You know, people, regardless of who they are, need opportunities. They need alternatives. They need exposure. And when individuals are impoverished, the less opportunities and exposure and alternatives that they have, Mm -hmm. And we have to do everything we can to give people these opportunities that they normally would not have. So one of the reasons why we created Project Hood is because we looked at our community and we said, hey, we have so many young, specifically young black males who are not participating in the American dream for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. So what we're going to do instead of complaining and crying and being bitter about the problem that we all see and that we all know exists, we're going to use our talents, our gifts, our skills and our abilities to create opportunities and alternatives for people to change their lives around because Mm -hmm. without opportunities and without alternatives, people are left hopeless. And when people are hopeless you can there you don't know what they're they will do uh, a hopeless people are a dangerous people and so mm-hmm. we have to create these opportunities and these alternatives to give people the hope that they need to be ready to change their lives
0: gosh and that's a truth just not across every skin color and race <laughs> ever Absolutely. right that's insane yeah You know, we talk a lot in the personal development world about a fixed versus a growth mindset. You know, I'm sure you see the same thing in the communities you serve where, you know, it's kind of, you know, you're born in the projects, you stay in the projects or, you know, you, you don't get to escape out of the situation you were born into. What are, I mean, obviously the programs you guys have are challenging that at its core, but what are some kind of some of the feedback and the testimonials you you've experienced in that regard?
1: Well, I think you're spot on that a lot of times people really feel like and buy into the concept that because my grandfather was poor and my father was poor, then I'm locked into being poor. Mm -hmm. So we worked hard to try to make to try to change the mindset because that's where it starts first in the mind. And no matter if you have all the wonderful opportunities in the world, if you don't help people to help them change their minds, they're never going to see themselves as being better or doing better or receiving better. So we really work hard at changing the mindset. And then once we change the mindset, we try to flood them with opportunities and options and exposure uh, so that their lives can be better. And we have seen for ourselves what happens when individuals have opportunities. We've seen young men who, like DeMario, who was 16 years old, comes from a household that was very dysfunctional. But at 16 years old, he was able, because we put mentors around him, because we put structure around him, he was able to graduate from high school at 16. He was able to go uh, to California Berkeley at 16. Right. His parents had to sign a special, his mother, a special release for him to go. And <laughs> now we're really excited cause he's like in his last year. And so he's here working with us every summer that, that he's been in school. Right. And so to see him come from, I mean, a really dysfunctional background to now having opportunities is mm-hmm. awesome. All around us here at this center, I can just look at guys like like even now as I'm talking to you, uh, I can look off in the distance and I can see in uh, a conference where we have uh, individuals who are working our violence prevention program. We have 10 full time staff. But if I take all of those 10 full time staffers together, you're probably looking at over 100 years of prison time, you know, so to see these guys change their lives and now add value to the community it's 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 it speaks volumes to the work that we do but it also gives others hope that things can change if people have the opportunities and if you wrap around them a lot of love and a lot of care and give them a lot of grace and be patient Um, we see every day um, lives changing
0: amen to that you know uh, just as a side note we did a a live stream event yesterday with Alice Marie Johnson and talk about a interesting story and, and giving someone a second chance and all that she's done with helping pass the first step act and criminal justice reform. It's just, it's yeah. amazing what you could do if you just give someone a little bit of grace and, and give them an opportunity to have a second chance. Absolutely. So absolutely, it's amazing. So tell me a little, has, Quarantine and coronavirus—how has that affected the work you guys are doing uh, with the church and with Project Hood?
1: Well, it's impacted us a great deal. I mean, we—it's been hard, especially for our church to function. You know, everybody's functioning from at home. Uh, We haven't been able to have worship services, so our fellowship has drastically been hindered, not being able to get people together. And as a result of that. Um, then our financial stuff has been really crippled um, so that we're not able to to do as much as we would like to do. Um, Even at our outreach facility, it's not able to be open as of yet. Um, But we're planning and strategizing for when we can be open. Um, But I tell people this, um, like in Illinois, for instance, they, they haven't allowed us to have church. But I tell Mm -hmm. our church and I tell people that just because the doors are closed, uh, we're still going to be the church. And so we've been working really hard at trying to make sure that we meet the food needs of people. Uh, We've had two great events, one in May, one in June, uh, where we fed over 5000 people each time. The first time we fed 5200 families. Uh, This last time we fed fed 6100 families and we've been doing a great job making sure that they have nice healthy food and then not only that but just trying to provide counseling services and things that we can do virtually uh, Mm -hmm. worship services and things like that to make sure that we help meet the needs of people so it's definitely hindered us but it's also given us an opportunity to be creative and come up with some ways to help more people
0: So what's next for New Beginnings Church and Project Hood? What are you guys working on? What is the dream for finishing out 2020 strong?
1: Our dream to finish out 2020 strong is to come up with the seed money to finally be able to break ground on a building that we believe is going to change thousands of lives and change the trajectory of many families for years to come. We're building a vocational and uh, trade school community center. It's kind of a mix of a vocational school and a community center, mixed a hybrid. Uh, and we believe that this model is going to help us to fight poverty and violence like never before. And we are going to create it so that we can not just be have uh, not just have a better life for people in Chicago but in urban centers around America, that's our ultimate goal. So we're hoping and praying that by um, the end of 2020, uh, we will have the seed money to finally break ground.
0: Amazing. Well, we'll be praying for that for sure. Pastor Brooks, thank you so, so much for hopping on and having this conversation with me today. Just wanted to give you a final opportunity to share any last thoughts and then also you know, share with us how we can follow along with what you're doing, what Project Hood is doing and stay connected.
1: Well, thank you. First of all, I want to tell people, whatever you do, you have to keep listening to this podcast and you have to keep (laughs) tuning in because she asked great questions, and so you definitely want to stay in tune with this podcast and get great information. The second thing I want to tell people is that, listen, don't be afraid to go into the lives of other people. There are so many people who need your gifts, your skills, your talents, your abilities, and God has given all of us something that we can help other people with. Don't be afraid to go into the lives of other people and just let it organically happen. And have the courage, have the humility, and just do it. Get involved. And if you ever want to get involved with helping with the violence and the poverty on the south side of Chicago, we invite you. You are you are welcome to come here. But if you can't come, go to our website, projecthood.org, projecthood.org, and find out all the wonderful things that we're doing and how you can be supportive. Because we need you to give your thoughts We need you to give your time, we need you to give your talent, and we need you to give your treasure. God bless you, and you're always welcome to the South Side of Chicago.
0: There's so many takeaways from this conversation with Pastor Brooks, but personally, I'm stuck on human connection. It's the reason I started this podcast, so there's that. But honestly, at the end of the day, whether it's leaning into tough conversations around race criminal justice reform, poverty, etc. If you're willing to have an open heart and be part of the solution, that's what will help us see positive change extend from coast to coast. Focusing on this from 30,000 feet leaves a lot open to interpretation, but getting to the root core individual person is where two-sided understanding is born. It's gonna take our entire country working together in humility to empower people and communities and begin to pave a path forward. If you liked what Pastor Brooks had to say, head over to offthebikepodcast.com for the show notes where you can find info on all the things New Beginnings Church and Project Hood are working on. So until next time, if I can leave you with a little dose of encouragement today, it's this. Focus on your energy and your impact. Radiate love and light. Get local, get real, and inspire those around you to live with intention. We can do this. Cheers, friend.